0: Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio and octalkradio.net where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. That is especially true today today. Uh, When we talk with Carter Williams, president and CEO of iSelect Fund, a venture capital firm for the private investor. And Carter talks to us from St. Louis, Missouri, their headquarters. Carter, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Uh,
2: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
1: So Carter, I select fund. You guys have unique business model. You're a venture capital firm, but for the private investor, and you allow them to select multiple companies in which they can invest. So first of all, let's start with you. Give us a brief background of your your, your work history, will you? Okay.
2: Uh, I am an engineer by training, uh, aerospace originally. I started my career at McDonnell Douglas as an engineer. I was, I guess, good enough at it that I then got the job of managing, uh, then Boeing, Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas, managing all of our R&D investment, working for the chief technology officer of Boeing. And that gave me the opportunity to invest about $300 million a year in about 4,000 different kinds of technologies, some of which you see today flying around. And after that, I ma- I started the ventures group at Boeing, where we looked at creating new business units uh, and commercializing some technologies in some more novel areas. And then I left in 2004 and was president of a company named GridLogix, uh, bare-bones Startup, ramen noodles and all, and uh, a little blown out uh, mall where we worked for a while, but we grew that company uh, and successfully sold it at a very good return to Johnson Controls in the fall of 2008, which... I. Uh, Venture investing is non-correlated with the markets, and when you get a 20x return in the fall of 2008, when the whole rest of the market was collapsing.
1: Congratulations on excellent timing here, uh, Carter. If you have nothing else, you've got good timing.
2: I suppose. And then after that, I I bounced around a little bit, uh, having the benefit of the successful exit, and really looked around and was involved in various startups. I really spent my entire career working on technologies that are on the edge of Nobel laureate class through hey it's got to work in flying an aircraft every day and one of the reasons we sold Logics we were in St. Louis is we were having a challenge raising additional funds told that we had to pick up the company move it to Silicon Valley if we wanted any money at that point had 30 employees and it was problematic to move everybody and really recognized that Throughout many towns and cities, there are very strong local regional companies being built, and they hit the headwind of capital formation. We also realize that there are often many wealthy people in these regions, and they don't know how to find those companies. And so really, iSelect is about matching regional investors with opportunities, regional opportunities, to uh, give people good investment opportunity.
1: You know, I, I realize you guys are focused on middle America. Let's, uh, l- l- let's come back to that. Tell us, first of all, give us a brief description of Iselect.
2: So, first and foremost, we are a venture firm, which means we have a team that is expert at doing diligence. We review, we in the last 24 months have looked through probably about 800 companies, business plans of all sorts. Sometimes we look at them for an hour and sometimes we look at them for 200 hours. We review all the aspects of their business model and competition and partners and, and make an evaluation and from that process have invested in 20 companies. So as a firm what we do is we work to give our investors the best the best of a breed of all of those companies
1: okay and so what, what is your business model how does it work
2: we charge a fee uh, management fee of uh, one and a half percent and a carried interest of fifteen percent so we make if the company does really well and we invest uh, five hundred thousand million dollars and it exits for ten million dollars we get Fifteen percent of the gain is standard carried interest type model that is typical in the venture industry. We're a little bit lower fee than normal. Well, we we vary from a normal normal venture fund is what's referred to as a closed end fund. They go out to a bunch of pension funds and raise a hundred million dollars and invest it over a three or four year period. We are an evergreen fund. Uh, we bring in investors uh, continuously. And we work with a model that says an investor should try to diversify their investment across 20 or so companies. And so we always have a fresh pick of companies available for them. And it is designed to work more with this sort of retail investor and family office investor who is wealthy, but, you know, if you want to join a venture fund, normally you got to write a $5 million check. If you want to invest in early-stage venture, otherwise, you got to go do all the kind of diligence we do on your own, and we're trying to meet that middle ground where somebody is well-off, maybe worth $1 to $30 million, and is interested in balancing their portfolio out and uh, getting some exposure to venture.
1: So, uh, Carter, why should an individual investor or an, uh, an investment advisor working on behalf of their clients, why should they consider venture capital? in investing as an asset class?
2: Yeah, so venture capital over the long haul is the best-performing asset class. Uh, there is a, people sometimes talking about it being illiquid. Uh, you can get into a battle with the academics as to whether illiquidity is a premium or a deficit. <laughs> and there's a certain advantage to that illiquidity in, in hold periods uh, to help improve return. The investment is also typically non-correlated, so... The two largest, most successful exits I've had in my personal investing have both occurred in venture, and one was in 2001 and one was in 2008 when the markets were collapsing. So typically a venture is focused on something that's changing fundamental productivity and economic productivity. And what that means is is while the rest of the market may be doing something goofy, the venture investment will still chug along and... uh, deliver its results on a pretty consistent basis.
1: So, Carter, I'm struggling a little bit here to understand the process of what you guys do and, and how you do it. So you, first of all, find quality companies that you want to fund through venture capital funds, and you do all the vetting and you select them, correct? Correct. Okay. And then someone invests with you. How is it that they participate in the selection process of a company that they want to invest in
2: so they can either we have clients that either say i want to invest two hundred thousand dollars in the next 20 companies and so they don't really select they just go into the next 20 companies that we put on our platform we have others that say they want to pick and we have a portal that they can go to they can look at all the diligence we've looked at, either an executive summary, and they can say, well, that's sort of neat, I'll invest, or they can go down and look at the financials and the, the patents and you know hundreds of documents that we have on each company, and we have some clients that do that. The bulk of our clients come in and say, look, I'm looking for a diversified investment. I'm following the Yale model. I want 3% of my portfolio in venture. I invest... properly in a diversified way and then we just sort of rotate them into the next 20 companies
1: I see, Okay. and uh, what's more difficult these days, Uh, is it to raise money or is it to find quality companies to invest in I
2: think the challenge is helping clients understand the venture venture world and more specifically probably the financial advisors, the financial advisors we can find companies that's one of the. That's because we're good, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. we can we can find companies and uh, and we work hard at that and that's a that's that's our bread and butter and that's why we're in this business. On the money side, it's a little bit more challenging, and when we sit down with an end investor, about sixty percent of the time they will say yes. The challenge is really the financial advisors have been so constrained. Uh, by regulations and, and such that they are a little unsure as to how to or not to present these things to their clients and so there's a, there's a lot of work in that, that arena to help the financial advisors through that and when you've got headwind of DOL and even we saw in the recent election we've seen a certain amount of the market quiet during the recent election for almost a year uh, which is now sort of freed up now that the election's over where there just is uncertainty in that the middle part of that sales process of the wealth manager.
1: Right. Now, so who are the people who invest in your fund? Are they individual investors? Are they advisors? Are they institutions?
2: So we always go through, uh, we're a wholesale operation, and we sell through wealth managers, institutional investors, and family offices. And they help us find clients. So, you know, there are obviously different sorts of businesses in both cases, but we are a wholesale operation in that sense. We have very few direct investors. I guess the really only direct investor you would consider is a family office, which often they themselves are chartered as an RIA. Right. And we really have them do the distribution. Um, for the most part right now, we're through the broker-dealer and RIA networks. Uh, we're moving into institutional investors now and will continue to grow in that, in both the institutional and the family office side.
1: Okay, now I know that you guys really tout the fact that you do not go to Silicon Valley to see the kinds of companies that you fund, and that you go to Middle America, you're located in St. Louis, and that you want... uh, you know, the kind of business that, that they do. How is it that you have that strategy? And is, are you the only ones that are really focused on middle America for venture capital?
2: Uh, now, there are 300 venture capital firms outside of Silicon Valley uh, focused in, in other industries. And we partner with many of them. So there, it is a very active area broadly. But it's dwarfed by the activity in Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley concentrates on two or three of about sixty major industries in this country. So internet technology, media, entertainment. They're not. They don't do agriculture. They don't do much in materials, industrials, um, automotive. Uh, you can sort of go down go down those ranks. And so the broader perspective we have, and this is putting my. Um, a, Putting my MIT hat back on is we believe in the United States that a major reason that GDP is going, growing slowly is that we are not funding enough early-stage companies. Nationwide, startup funding has been declining for the last 20 years. You You, would, you probably didn't know that.
1: No, not at all.
2: Silicon Valley puts a giant megaphone on what they're doing, and they do a great job. And in the markets that they work on, I would never want to try to compete with them because they're they're right dead center in the middle of where they are great. But in all these other industries, um, there's a shortfall of early stage funding. And if you look at the degree of stock buybacks going on in corporations, there's been 2.2 trillion dollars of stock buybacks in the last. Since 2002, I think it's even probably higher than that. That's really a reflection that corporations are having a hard time putting, finding a place to put their money. They would better buy their stock back than invest in new new buying up new technologies. And what that is is, if you're Boeing or your GM or your Pfizer, there's not enough other technology coming up from the startup community to help feed their pipeline. So. Our focus is we believe our numbers show that there's at least an $8 billion early-stage funding shortfall throughout the country. And we say that we're Midwest-focused. We're also sort of not Silicon Valley-focused. So we're prepared to sort of look in any market in which there's a shortfall of venture and in any industry where there's a shortfall of venture and then concentrate on bringing more capital into those markets. The institutional investors, wealth managers, financial advisors control about at least $4 trillion of assets, and there's an $8 billion shortfall. So the, the simple answer, long way to get there, is I'm just trying to bring $8 billion more to the market each year in early-stage venture.
1: Gotcha. Uh, Carter, we need to take a short break here. Again, we're talking with Carter Williams, uh, president and CEO of iSelect Fund, a venture capital firm for the private investor out of St. Louis, Missouri. When we come back, we'll be talking about some of the disadvantages that one can encounter in investing in venture capital. Again, this is Charlie Wright. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back.
0: According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest.
1: Thank you, Paul. Again, uh, we're talking with Carter Williams, president and CEO of iSelect Fund, a venture capital firm for the private investor out of St. Louis, Missouri. So uh, Carter had an interesting conversation just minutes before we started this interview. We were talking with somebody here. Uh, we were doing an interview for other purposes, and he happened to tell us that uh, he, had, he had started a company years ago, and he had gotten venture capital funding of a few million dollars. They sold the company seven years later for a 40% per year profit for all investors, <laughs> So that's not the kind of thing that you get, or a seven-year, 40% per year in other kinds of investments. Yep. So I guess that's what attracts people to venture capital, huh?
2: Yes. The, typically, if you're using a portfolio model, you will see something more on the order of a 20% annualized return. The, the interesting thing about venture, and this is one of the reasons why diversification is so critical in venture, is if you invest in one company you are unlikely to see that kind of return if you invest in about one out of every ten companies really knocks the ball out of the park uh, a couple do well and then several will just collapse and either go bankrupt or you'll see no liquidity in it but the net result of all of those the pluses and minuses is a few out of the portfolio really return the entire portfolio so a mistake many people make who do angel investing is they only invest in two or three deals. If you do the regression analysis and all the quant, that uh, you really need to get above 15 deals. And if you think about the average investor trying to go through thousands of companies to find 15 deals that are good, that's really what we do. We just make it easier for them to get access to that and diversify. We, we tend... To ask people to look at more uh, like a twenty-company diversification strategy, and the way the math works out, diversifying into more than fifty companies really doesn't give you much more advantage. So you sort of want to you want to be in that window. Okay, that's uh, at least the quant part of it.
1: So Carter, let's move into the. Uh uh, potential disadvantages here. One, you touched on it uh, briefly before: illiquidity. Now, I, I've heard many arguments, uh, you know, that illiquidity is actually a benefit. But I can just tell you, from an investor standpoint, they don't see it that way. Yes. Okay. So, in your fund, uh, what are the what are the liquidity opportunities?
2: So we have about we pick companies that have an exit window of five years, and. They will exit somewhere between a three- to seven-year period with an average exit period of five. When they exit, we, we cash out that particular instance and distribute the, distribute the funds. There are some instances in which other investors in our fund will buy somebody if they want to get out early, and that some of the follow-on investors will sometimes buy out <laughs> earlier investors or give them the option to buy out. But the illiquidity, you know, we recommend that people not invest more than 3% of their investable assets in venture for the liquidity reason. And, you know, there's a thing referred to as liquidity premium that, that by having illiquid investments, it actually gives some time for them to bake and rise. Right, right. And I think the general notion here is if it the illiquidity is a problem if you're starting to place – five, six, seven, eight, ten percent of your portfolio in it. Uh, But from a standpoint of I've got all my other bets in terms of both alternatives and and public securities that perhaps have some more liquidity, the non-correlation of venture pays off so nicely against the rest of that portfolio that it makes up for uh, liquidity issues.
1: Okay. The second question is reporting. Uh, You know, somebody buys a stock and uh, they're typically there are analysts following that stock. You can get the quarterly report. You know if their sales are going up, are they going down, are they making a profit, etc. Uh, with venture capital, you know, uh, but what kind of reporting do you get and what kind of potential red flags are there so that the person who's made the investment has a feel for how this company's doing?
2: Yep. So we, we produce... Each of our companies provides a quarterly report that we transmit to our investors. We also provide a weekly report on any news or information that may pop up on any one of the particular companies or or their industry. What we do find is that, you know, we also go out and meet with investors on a pretty regular basis and, and give them pretty straight, state, straight scoop. You know, this is what's going well. We're not happy about this at this company. This is getting a little bit better. This is the challenge and headwind that this other company has and we have found that the nature of our investors are often people who they themselves have been entrepreneurs they the bulk of our investors are people that believe in the power of entrepreneurship uh, in terms of helping the overall economy and they actually get sort of engaged in it's like watching a game a little bit of seeing the the, the ups and the downs and. I don't want to call it entertainment value, but it's a, <laughs> it's a practical sense that they realize that, oh, you know, there is sausage-making involved here. We have had a couple cases where we were very unhappy with a couple things that happened with the companies. Mm-hmm. And many of our investors have sort of touched venture before at some level or have a friend who has. And we are very, because we're pooling everybody, we have one voice. So we control all the angels that are in these companies and all the early stage investors. So we can, if a company's got trouble, we have a legal team to sort of step in from a shareholder's view and say, hey, there's a challenge here. You really need to be attentive to us and pay attention to the shareholders. And we bring a strength of voice into that conversation that's always helped the company get corrected and um
1: okay so so question number three is you're what you in venture capital you're always waiting for a liquidity event well what happens when the the economy goes down and uh that liquidity event uh is just not happening here uh what 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 happens then
2: well and, and the company continues to muster through typically uh entrepreneurs are very good at operating on very little fuel uh, so that they have that's one of the reasons why the non-correlation works for them because they they're usually pretty good at managing resources more than larger corporations and they they continue to plow through and they might get a delayed exit uh, I, I mean that's part of the the hey we think it's get exit in five years but maybe it'll take seven on the other side you know you also get some exits in three years that are much higher. And, and, but the net effect of all of that when you run through the models year after year after year is you constantly sort of see a very reliable 20% type of return for this asset class broadly.
1: So I guess that's the, one of the purposes of di- is of diversification here. Absolutely, and that, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about one particular uh, thing happening here. So, Carter, tell us a question we'd like to ask all of our guests. What keeps you awake at night?
2: Each one of our companies is actually doing something really cool, and I just I get excited about what they're going to do next. I I, po- I saw I uh, I don't know if you saw Buzz Aldrin just got evacuated from. Antarctica at 86.
1: Yeah, I, um, I heard about that on the news this it morning.
2: Was was is in Antarctica. <laughs> Each <laughs> of our companies it, when we, we really focus on companies that are doing something different and I get excited about are we missing something? Is there something else we can do? Who else should we be talking to? Who else can I get these people to to help move them ahead faster? There's a purpose to virtually every single one of the companies that we're working on. And it is very common for me to be, frankly, up at midnight researching something more about one of their customers, one of the, one of the opportunities, something new in that market. That, and not from a negative, not from a oh, is a competitor going to take them down, but from opportunity. So the thing that keeps me awake at night is: is there yet another opportunity that they can pursue and fulfill the objective? I'm after a eight billion dollar a year shortfall in venture. I believe that if we can get to a four percent GDP growth, there are all a lot of problems in our economy that can get fixed. And and I, I, my team at I Select is focused in serving the clients with a good return, growing companies that matter, and and helping everybody understand that if that if you want to pick somebody to solve a problem in this country and grow the economy, pick an entrepreneur. And so, you know, the nexus of all of that are the things that, they, in terms of am I going to fall short of achieving that opportunity, is the thing that keeps me awake at night.
1: You know, Carter, I've asked that question a couple of hundred times to, uh, you know, investment people, CEOs, CIOs, portfolio managers, and the like. And very seldom have I heard that what keeps them awake at night is uh, a positive thing. It is something they're they're doing to make things work better. Typically, what keeps them awake at night are negative things. And more typically uh, than anything else, it's been uh, geopolitical and uh, political issues over the past six months here. So congratulations. You, you, you are being troubled by uh, opportunities that you are looking to make better so uh congratulations here second question we like to ask all of our guests what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners
2: wow what book on investing I always like clay christensen's work
1: hey wow. great I know clay christensen uh, uh well I, I know of him well and have read uh, several of his things and seen uh, podcasts of his and he definitely knows what he's talking about
2: yes uh, so I, I read his original papers when before he became famous and I was in Going to grad school, I was I was all over his original papers, and his one of his teachers was my thesis advisor, okay. or one of his thesis advise his one of his thesis advisors was one of my teachers. So yeah. I've always always appreciated his his work.
1: Yeah. Okay. So anything by him, we 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 would completely agree there. Now let me ask a last question, uh, Carter. You have a uh, strong bio. Uh, you've got a, uh, a engineering degree from MIT, additional training, etc. You have great experience So uh, with Boeing and other other ventures. You could be doing many things, possibly things that pay you much more than, than uh, what's happening at iSelect Fund. Why are you doing what you're doing, and why are you staying with it?
2: I have had an unbelievable... My Boeing experience was... We did things that were utterly amazing, that most people would sit back and say, well, there's no way to get that done, and all of a sudden, two years later, we get it done. So appreciating that scale and that temperament to be able to get big, challenging things done has always been sort of a driver for me. And fundamentally, I want to close the $8 billion gap. That's If I can close the $8 billion gap, I feel like I will have taken all my experience, the privilege I had to work at at Boeing, which I consider a privilege, I when I left MIT, my professor said, okay, only 3% of people get into this place, so what are you going to do with your degree? You know, there's a responsibility, I feel, to to deliver results. And the nexus of all my experience gives me a roadmap on closing that $8 billion, And I feel responsible to do it.
1: And you know, that, that is I'm great in. to hear, and, and you have one heck of a challenge, and uh, we hope that you can get as close as you can to achieving that, to to uh, crossing that bridge and closing that $8 billion gap. So give us the website for those of our listeners who would like to know more.
2: Iselectfund.com.
1: Okay, letter I, selectfund.com. And how about uh, an email for somebody here?
2: I C. Williams at iselectfund.com.
1: And final words for our listeners here Carter.
2: Put 3% of your investment in the venture.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you know, more more specifically is any problem you see in this country can be solved by an entrepreneur. And if you can't invest in venture capital, Buy from venture. Buy from companies that are starting. They're they're the people that make the difference. Every startup needs a customer. Help them. Tell people about them. They are the people who can fix healthcare, fix education, fix the climate. All every single problem that that we face as a nation in terms of growth and opportunity and for our kids and all that kind of stuff can can ultimately be solved by an entrepreneur. And, and let's let's work and back them as much as we can.
0: That
1: sounds great. I'm surprised that you didn't mention politicians there, Carter. Uh, A little cynicism Uh, here.
2: (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Carter, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Carter Williams, president and CEO of iSelect Fund, a venture capital firm for the private investor, speaking to us from St. Louis Missouri. Again, uh, today is December 2nd, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're, we're, uh, uh, we'd are we're love to hear from you. Uh, you. Contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'd like to wish you everyone an enjoyable week and productive investing.